here I am. Adverb, subject, verb. A statement of my proximity and heartfelt proclamation of my willingness to be found. Hidden in plain sight to those who do not ask. In the path of those who seek. Here I am. I write the story of redemption on the human heart. I go before. I stand behind. My grace is enough. My strength comes into its own when you are weak. Call. I am near to answer. I hover over the waters. I am great and eternal. I walk beside and wait. Here I am. Open the door. I long to share with you the intimacy of my presence. Here, Here I, I am. am. You have made yourself available to me. I make myself available to you. In your presence, I'm transformed. Show me your plans and purposes. Here I am. It's not just about a place. It's about a commitment to radical obedience. One step, following you, reflecting your character, fulfilling your purposes, I find myself on the other side of that decision, moving towards the place where you increase, where you are glorified, where your name is made famous, where I decrease. So here I am, available, ready, obedient. Here I am. Well, here we are. Welcome to everybody at all of our locations. Absolutely thrilled that you're here. You know, have you found that sometimes you have to lose something to really appreciate it? It's good to be able to talk. Uh, this weekend, I had laryngitis, and uh, we had a uh, little simulcast that I'll reference later on on Wednesday night, and the Lord did a miracle, and then I had a little relapse, and I feel like the Lord's doing another miracle. So uh, it's wonderful to be able to talk. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoy talking. Uh, this weekend, we kick off a series, Here I Am. Now, it's one word in Hebrew, but we need three words in English to translate it. That little word appears throughout the Old and New Testament at critical junctures. In fact, it often precedes defining moments in the Bible. And I believe it precedes defining moments in our lives. It's hard to capture this, but uh, this was uh, a random firing of my synapses. Um, so let me put it this way. A, a few years ago, um, well, probably been seven or eight years ago now, I had the privilege of meeting uh, David Wilkerson, the founder of Times Square Church, and met in his office there in Manhattan, and I had a wonderful conversation. Uh, if you know his story, he felt called to the gangs of New York in the 1950s. Well, they threatened to kill him, but he wouldn't back down. There, you know, he's just a skinny white preacher, but a, a holy boldness um, and a love 
that, uh, that he showed to those he was trying to reach. And there's one famous encounter that's recorded in a book called The Cross and the Switchblade. Now, some of you are, are too young to remember this, but this is a book that hit the New York Times bestseller list, sold 15 million copies. So huge cultural impact. Nikki Cruz, who was the warlord of the Mau Mau Street Gang in New York City, threatened to kill David Wilkerson. And David Wilkerson said, you can cut me into a thousand pieces and lay them out in the street and every piece will still love you. You can cut the Bible into a thousand pieces and you will hear God say, here I am. This is one of the overarching messages of scripture. Here I am. I am here. I'm here. I am that I am and I am here. Here I am. In this series, we're gonna focus honestly on our response, us saying to God, God, here I am. But that's not where we're going to start, and that's not where we're going to finish. Because it's not about us, is it? It's about him, and it's about God first saying, here I am. And so we're going to begin and end that way. If you have a Bible, you can turn over to Isaiah chapter 58. We're going to get to verse 9. It's the focal point. It's where this phrase appears But before we get there, we're going to hit the rewind button. I started studying Isaiah 58. I was like, man, I got to go back a chapter. And so I'm I'm then studying 57, and I'm like, I got to go back another chapter. Beep, 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 beep. You know, I'm backing this bad boy up in the Bible. And uh, I finally went all the way back to Isaiah 55, which is one of my favorite chapters. But but there's a little piece of this chapter that I had overlooked. It was something that I didn't really notice until this week. And it's how the chapter starts. And so we're going to start there. Isaiah 55, verse 1. See if you can pick up on this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Buy wine and milk. Verse three, incline your ear and come to me. Now, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. The word was with God. We believe that Jesus Christ is the word of God. And so we have uh, the word of God in a printed form, but we also know that Jesus is the word of God. And so in a sense, when you are reading the word of God, you're hearing the voice of Jesus speak. And when I hear the word come, I can hear Jesus saying it because it was one of his favorite words. In fact, if you're taking notes, just write down the word come, C-O-M-E, circle it, and and just um, let me thread a needle here and see if we can weave um, this word in some interesting ways because I think it's absolutely critical and I think it's what the Lord Jesus is saying to us this weekend. He said, come follow me. He said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. He said, let the little children come unto me. 
Over and over and over again, Jesus says, come to me. Now, my favorite instance of this word might be when it's used all by itself. Love this story. You remember Peter uh, is in a boat, middle of the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of the night, and Jesus is walking on the water, and they have this incredible encounter um, where, uh, where Jesus says to Peter, come. And Peter gets out of the boat, and I love this little story. I, I think it's one of the most profound lessons. Um, in fact, you know, this is, this is probably worth writing down. If you don't get out of the boat, you'll never walk on water. If you want to experience a miracle, you need to respond when Jesus says, come. Now, here's the deal. This is a crazy come. This is a crazy invitation. Who invites someone to get out of a boat in the middle of the, the lake in the middle of the night? But it's when we respond to that invitation that we experience God in a profound way. And so Peter gets out of the boat and uh, that was cool. Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water. And uh, of course, the rest is history. Come, come to me, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Why? And this is the key. Why does Jesus invite us to come to him? And, and I'll tell you, the answer is so simple yet so profound. Uh, so that he can be with you and you can be with him. Because he doesn't just love you. He loves being with you. Oh, and if we could get that from here to here, that would change the game. He really likes being with you. In fact, he likes being with you so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross so that we could be made right, so that the sin that separated us from a holy God could be removed, taken out of the way so that we could not just be in relationship with him, but be with him forever and ever and ever. That's how much he wants to be with you. He wants to be with you forever. By the way, the whole thing ends <laughs> in Revelation 22. I mean, it's unbelievable, this, this, uh, this thread in verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. You get the point? And then verse 22, the, the second to last verse in the Bible, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. So he invites us to come to him, but he comes to us as well. And we're gonna talk about that in just a few minutes. I don't know how else to say it, um, I, this is ridiculous, but sometimes you, you have these crazy, your mind just is triggered in a weird way. And some, for some reason, like to me, this is all about God saying like, like, hey, like I'm here, here I am. And, and, and it's so hard to get our attention, right? Um, I, I love the three amigos. I, I know it was like a 1986 movie, forgive me, but you know, just like the greatest decade in music, some of the greatest movies 
came out in the 1980s as well. And uh, I don't even know if it was Lucky Day, Dusty Bottoms, or Ned Niederlander, but two of them are trying to get the attention of the other one. And, and uh, I, I don't know, every once in a while, I'll pull a, I'll pull a three amigo and I'll see someone and I'll just say, hey, <laughs> hey you, hey you, hey, whoop-a-woo, whoop-a-woo. look at here, look at here. Hey, you. Hey, you. Um, and so if you're for, someday I'll spot you and I'll do it for you. Um, <laughs> I love that scene. You probably have to see, there, see it to appreciate my humor. But, you know, it's like, hey, we're right here. Like, we're right here. And it's like God is saying, I'm right here. Here I am. I am here. And yet we miss it. And we ignore it, and we focus on other things. Um, here's what I know for sure. God is everywhere all the time. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. His presence is everywhere. So what's absent is our awareness. And I think the Here I Am series is about bumping up the percentage of awareness in our lives. Um, let me ask you a question. What percentage of your day do you think about God? Now, I, I, you know, I don't know that I could sit down and like slice and dice a singular day. And, I mean, that would be hard to do. But if you could break down the 24-hour cycle, how many minutes would be spent focusing on God? Now, by focusing, maybe that could be uh, reading the word of God. That's probably uh, a focus on God. Um, it could be in praise or worship as you're singing to God. Um, it could be in prayer. And so certainly throughout the day, there are moments where we're focused on God. Um, but then beyond that, uh, how, how much of our day are we at least aware of his presence as we go about our business? Um, it's not only when we're focused on God, but like when you're eating or walking or talking or interacting or relaxing, like, is there at least some awareness of the presence of God? So from focusing to at least awareness, um, how, what percentage of our day do we think about God? Because he's right here. He's everywhere. But what percentage of our day are we focused on him? I think that uh, I've learned that you can try to do the work of God at a pace that will destroy the work of God in you. And my one word for uh, 2013 is Selah. Maybe I've already shared that. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up doing a series. It's this beautiful Hebrew word. It's mystical yet practical. Um, probably refers to a rest in music kind of a change in the melody and harmony and just a moment to pause and reflect and uh, just kind of let you into my world. Um, every day uh, I try, and, and I usually then try to journal it, uh, I try to find a Selah moment. Um, life moves at a pretty quick pace. And, and so what I try to do is I try to find those moments during the day God, thank you for your beauty. Thank you for your mercy where I, I just have a sense of his presence beyond kind of the focused time with God. All right. So God says, here I am. And he says, come. So what's our response to that? Well, now let's fast forward back to Isaiah 58. And we're going to drill down on one little phrase in verse number two. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know 
my ways. This little phrase, seek me daily, uh, it's not very complicated. Actually, it's quite simple. Um, you've got to seek God daily. And the truth is, I, I know a lot of people that, that would seek God maybe weekly. Um, that church would be something, well, you know, that's, that's kind of my weekly touch point, kind of check in with God. Um, but the problem is, is that I, I think that's a misuse of church. Um, in fact, the truth is, can we just be honest? Um, I think a lot of people come to church and it's not really about them seeking God. They kind of maybe want a pastor to seek God for them or man, that worship leader, their voice is incredible. I'm gonna let them worship God for me. Um, but it just doesn't work that way. Um, God doesn't have any grandchildren only as children. And uh, he wants to hear from you. Uh, there never has been, never will be anyone like you. That's not a testament to you. It's a testament to the God who created you. And that means no one can worship God like you or for you. There's no substitute. No one can come off the bench for you. Um, he, he wants you to engage. He wants you to seek him daily. And so for a lot of people, church is spiritual voyeurism. You can't grow if you just have a weekly rhythm. Uh, it's got to be a daily rhythm. It's got to be daily spiritual disciplines. And I think this is the one thing where, how are you doing with those daily spiritual disciplines? Well, the word daily, uh, and we'll come back to that. The word daily hints at consistency. Uh, and then it says, you know, seek me daily. It, it hints kind of at urgency. And, and this is where I feel like I really need the Holy Spirit to somehow um, help me and, and help us really understand because one of my great fears is that we've lost a sense of spiritual urgency. I'm just going to say it very plaintively, and I, I don't even know, um, but, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction into my life and into our lives where we need to be convicted. And I'm going to be the first person to say sometimes my lack of spiritual urgency is alarming. And I need the Spirit of God to quicken me. I mean, part, you know, part of it is like, Laura and I just had a little kind of um, conversation about this. And, and, and you know, she grew up kind of um, just really with a, a, a keen awareness that the Lord Jesus could return at any moment. Now, theologically, you know, it's the imminent return, the, the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And, and, but if I'm being honest with you, I think about that very little. Not part of it is that I like to say, oh, I'm about the Father's business and I'm, I wanna focus on what we need to do and what we're called to do. But the truth is, um, do you know that there's a crown in scripture for those who long for his appearing? I said to Laura, I don't think I'm gonna get that crown. I don't know what to do. I Like... I wish there was some Jedi mind trick that, that I could really live in a way that, man, he could come today. And I think that would change my sense of urgency. But I'm just coming clean. I don't, I don't have the sense of spiritual urgency that I need to have. And I think by the time we're, we're done, we're gonna see that that's what this word seek is all about. It's about a level of urgency in our lives, a desperation to know God more. Friday night, Laura and I went out on a 
little date. We never go out on Valentine's Day. We always go out the day before or the day after. Avoid the crowds. We can still love each other on the 13th or 15th. And so we went out to see, uh, to dinner and a movie. We went and saw Argo. Fascinating film about a clandestine rescue operation engineered by the CIA during the Iranian hostage situation in 1979. But it wasn't until uh, President Clinton declassified some of this information that we even knew that we had anything to do with the rescue. Um, we thought it was all the Canadians, but Special Agent Tony Mendez um, won, won the highest award for his efforts in that operation. Essentially, we staged a fake film and, and uh, used it as a cover and, and then got on the ground and rescued six Americans who had gotten out of the embassy before the Iranians took it over and took everybody hostage and they hid out at the Canadian embassy. And... Uh, or the Canadian uh, ambassador's house. And so um, Laura and I are watching this movie and we're holding hands. And during the movie, like we just keep squeezing each other. It's like one of those movies where the tension is like out of control. Like, would this movie please end? Like, it's, the tension's killing me. Um, you know, it's one where like when you come out of the theater, they ought to like cuff you and check for blood pressure because it's like, oh my goodness, that was semi-entertaining, but really stressful. Um, what was captured in the movie was this urgency because the documents that had been shredded were being pieced back together. And ultimately they figured that they would discover that six Americans were missing. And because someone had taken mug shots that they would put these pictures together. And then, you know, cinematically, I'm sure it doesn't, isn't an exact representation of what exactly happened, but wow, did they do a good job of cap, like just the, you know, the split second, you know, take off in Swiss airlines and they, you know, leave Iranian airs. And then everybody in the theater like, yay. Um, so we're watching that movie and I'm thinking just the sense of urgency at that rescue operation. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't we a part of a rescue operation that was initiated when the father in heaven sent his son take on human flesh, live amongst us, go to a cross, raised on the third day, and then commission those disciples, go into all the world, this sense of urgency, go. This active verb. See, the problem is, is that we turn Christianity into a noun. And when we turn it into a noun, it becomes a turn off. It is a verb, an action verb. There's an urgency to it. So easy to lose that urgency, to share the gospel with our friends, to alleviate the suffering of those who are being persecuted. Um, and I think what I wanna suggest is that this Lenten season that we just entered on Wednesday and this 40-day prayer challenge that just commenced, which I'll talk about more. Can I just tell you that what I really think the Lord wants to do in our hearts is for each one of us to recapture a sense of spiritual urgency. That's as plain as I can say it. I think the Spirit wants to quicken us to seek Him daily. So here's what we're gonna do. I wanna drill down on this word seek. 
and um, unpack, I think, two or three dimensions of what it means, kind of in the original language, but in a very practical way, talk about what does it mean to seek God? And so the, the word, you know, seek, a literal translation would be to avidly search for his presence day in and day out. You aren't just looking for God kind of casually. And if I find them, I find them. No, it's an intentional searching that involves a strategy. Uh, it's an imperative verb that denotes frequency and urgency. Now, what's interesting is that one meaning of the word means to re, uh, read repeatedly. And so when you're seeking, you aren't just scanning. All of us, you know, have uh, skimmed a book just kind of, you know, barely reading it, but not really digesting it or thinking about it. This is the opposite of that. This is to read and reread and reread. That's what this word seek literally means. And what I love about that is that I think the literal translation is probably the very best application. Um, one of the best ways to get into God's presence is by getting into God's word. There is no substitute or shortcut. If we're serious about seeking God, um, then we're gonna break open this book called the Bible and we're gonna say, God, help me, help me find you. And then God is gonna say, here I am. And then we're gonna hear him say, come. And, and so you begin to get into God's word. You read it repeatedly. And I think it's the best way um, to find him. Uh, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The second meeting, and this is where uh, we're gonna circle the wagons for a minute. It means to beat a path. To beat a path. Are you beating a path to God? The word seek means you beat a path, even if it's jungle. You get out your machete and you beat a path one way or another. Nothing is gonna, it's almost like this woman who fights the crowds with the issue of blood. Like, I'm just gonna touch the hem of his garment. Kind of his determination, that no matter what it takes or how hard it is or how long it takes to get there or how many obstacles there are, I am gonna beat a path to God. Oh, I like this a lot. Now, what comes to mind for me is it, this apocryphal story about the University of California at Irvine. I bet you've heard it. Uh, there was a rumor that when they built it, uh, they didn't design sidewalks. They wanted to wait and first see where students walk, kind of created cow trails in a sense. And wherever the beaten path was, then they would go behind and design sidewalks wherever the natural traffic flow was. Now, the truth is, I'm pretty sure that's an urban legend. But that very approach is used by landscape architects. And those beaten paths are called desire lines. Desire lines. What are the desire lines in your life? What are you seeking? If we could kind of say like, well, let me break down your time and how you're spending it, and what you're thinking about. What are the paths in your life? What are the desire lines in your life? Can I just say that I was so proud of this church on Wednesday night. I, it just blessed my socks off to show up at a prayer meeting and it be kneeling room only. 
I mean, packed out the door of, of our barracks row location. And I just, to me, um, if someone is coming out on a Wednesday night to a prayer meeting, there, there is a desire line there. It tells me something. that There's a hunger to experience more of God's presence. Now, we kicked off uh, with our 40-day prayer challenge, uh, prayer at 7, 14 a.m. every morning at Ebenezer's. Now, I know that for those of you that don't live or work where this is kind of on your beaten path, so to speak. I, I know that, that it might be difficult to get there. And so this isn't a, a commentary on anybody who doesn't come. But you know, the folks who come there, um, I feel like it's a desire line. And, and then many of you are finding, you know, individually or corporately, we're praying in different places. It's a desire line. I think our small groups are desire lines. Can I just tell you something that blesses me? When, when I, I get to the office, usually very, very early in the morning, um, during a writing season, very, very early in the morning, and during a regular season, you know, usually 7 a.m., something like that. And um, on Thursday mornings when I show up, there's a wonderful small group. Uh, it's led by Juliana and, and Aaron, and many of you know them. In fact, uh, their small group was highlighted by CBN News a couple of weeks ago um, because of the political diversity in the group and the way they love each other and grow together. And I just, again, I was so proud. It was like just such a testament to, to what the Lord is doing here at NCC. And, uh, but when I show up, and I know for a fact those Hill staffers, because that's the, the main composition of that group, are about to begin work around 9 a.m. And it's going to be a long, busy, stressful day. I know that. And I'm thinking, but there's a desire line. They're, they're coming early because they have a commitment to community because it is a design line, desire line in their life. Finally, for Lent, talk about fasting uh, for just a few moments, uh, in a few moments, but I think it's another design line. Are, are you tracking with me? What are the desire lines in your life? Now, I'm going to tell you, in our culture, I mean, let's just keep it real. I think um, greed and pride and lust, well, not just in our culture, every culture in every generation, um, you know, those sinful desires will beat a path. And I promise you, they will take you where you don't wanna go. Um, and so what we've gotta do is beat a path to God. Now, I believe that uh, disciplines, spiritual disciplines, usually um, don't start out as desires. That's why they're called disciplines. <laughs> we don't call them spiritual desires because all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And we have some desires that would take us in a different direction. They're called spiritual disciplines. But here's what I've learned in my life, both physically and spiritually. When I begin to discipline myself and practice these disciplines that are healthy and holy, at some point in time, the discipline becomes desire. And God begins to give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37 begins to even reshape kind of the navigational system in your life. And you begin to desire what God desires. And then uh, 
at some point, if you get out of the habit, you got to go back to the discipline. And then the discipline will become desire. All right, finally, the third meaning. So the word seek means to read repeatedly. It means to beat a path. And, and it means to tread out. Now, the idea here is kind of ox treading out the grain, but, but maybe a better imagery because most of us have actually, you know, maybe seen something on this that like um, the ceremony where they kind of stomp on grapes and get all grapey. Well, I don't even know what you, what is that called? Is there a name for that? But do you know what I'm talking about? And it's the process of, you know, I guess turning it into wine. And so like they're, they're pressing the grapes, treading out to press down. And so the word seek means to, to tread or to press, but, but maybe a way of saying it is to press in. It's about pressing into his presence a little bit further, a little bit longer. Um, I think too often we're content with the outer courts and we get within earshot, like, okay, like, man, I love being in church. There's some people worshiping God. It feels good. Man, that's the, that's the outer courts. Um, God invites us then, then to maybe go into the inner courts. And that's maybe where these spiritual disciplines happen. We're day in and day out. We kind of have this quiet time. We maybe get in a closet, a prayer closet or prayer circle, so to speak. And, and we begin to press in on a daily basis. But then I, then I think... Um, Many of us stop there. And, and what I want you to understand is that we're invited all the way into the throne room to kneel at the throne of God. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Well, how do we do that? Real quickly, five things. Confession. You gotta confess your sin. And when you do, the Bible says he is um, faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Any, if you feel like God is distant, one thing you need to check, and there are seasons where you just, it's tough and you gotta make it through. And I, and I get that. Um, but sometimes it's sin in our lives. Sin creates almost like geographical distance. It creates spiritual distance from God. And so we kind of harden our heart and then God seems a long ways off. Well, confession and repentance is the way that then, God, here I am. You know, all of my sin, I confess it. And, and then it, it creates this proximity once again with God. I think worship. I mean, think about Psalm 100. Come, there's the word come. Come into his presence with thanksgiving in your heart. Come into his courts with praise. It's like worship is the way that then we press into the presence of God. Uh, so confession, worship, scripture, read repeatedly, meditate, pray through it. Already touched on that. Four, um, is this idea of fasting. Uh, and I think fasting just says to God, I'm serious. I desire you more than I desire food. God, I, I'm more hungry for you than I am for whatever it is that you might give up for Lent. I think that's a beautiful expression to the Lord. Now you can't do like fasting, read all of 58, okay? Just, I'm gonna let you study it yourselves. But, but the whole point of it is like, you can't just go through the motions. Your heart has to be in it. You have to do it for the right reasons. But, but I'm gonna say this again. If you aren't hungry for God, 
it means that you're full of yourself. And, it's, and fasting is a way that I empty myself. And, and so fasting is a way that then I press in a little bit further to the presence of God. So I'd encourage you, give something up for Lent. I know it started on Wednesday, that's okay. Um, fasting. And then finally, prayer. And, and this is where um, I, I wanna invite you. You know, uh, Dick Foth preached a couple of incredible messages the last few weeks. Um, and I know I was out of the pulpit. And so, you know, we kind of sort of backed in and like, ha, we're already doing the 40-day prayer challenge. Like, surprise. <laughs> um, and so, like, I, you didn't have to start on Wednesday to get in on this. Like, if you miss Wednesday, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't pray or fast at all over the next 40 days. Um, no, in fact, uh, by my calculations, we still have 40 days from this weekend until Good Friday. So it's not too late to get in on this. What I might encourage you to do um, in December, Laura and I gave everybody a free copy of Draw the Circle, and, and I hope you were here and got that. But if you weren't, um, you know, so many of us, and, and by the way, this is pretty cool. Um, hundreds and hundreds of churches across the country are doing this simultaneously with us, and uh, tens of thousands of people have engaged in this 40-day prayer challenge. But, but I believe, like, I want us to lead the way. Like, let's do this thing. And uh, we did it last year. We'll do it this year. Newsflash, we're gonna do it next year. And then the year after and the year after. Why? Because there are seasons where we need some urgency. Where we need to say, God, I'm gonna seek you daily. And we just hit our knees and we press in. And so we've got copies of Draw the Circle um, for $5 at all of our locations this weekend. And, and if you can't afford one, then, then it's on me, okay? Um, if you can, great. But, but if you think that could help you kind of seek the Lord on a daily basis, then use that as a tool. All right, we gotta move quickly to a close. Um, I, I think that there are... Um, this idea of urgency, um, that sometimes there are windows of spiritual opportunity that open. And then they close. And I don't want to miss it. Hebrews 3.15 3, says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Why? Because if you don't listen to him today, it will be harder to hear him tomorrow. And if you harden your heart, it will be harder to soften it. I mean, this is one of the big things that I really hope I can impress upon my children. Don't, I'll always stay sensitive to the spirit of God. Don't harden your heart. Listen to his voice and respond to it. today, today. Um, 2 Corinthians 6.2, now is the time of God's favor, now. Right now, right here, it says now is the day of salvation. Right here, right now. If you are listening to me and you have never crossed the line of faith and made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, now is the day of salvation. There is an urgency about, listen, we are not promised tomorrow. And the truth is, I want to get on with God's plan for my life today because it's way better than your plan. 
There's a window of opportunity that's open and you sense the spirit of God touching your heart. You respond to it today in faith. Well, finally, verse nine. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Here I am. Means readiness. It's a readiness. Now we're gonna talk in the weeks to come about our readiness and responsiveness to the spirit of God. But this weekend we're, we're talking about God's readiness. I wanna tell you that God's ready. He's ready. Ready and waiting. Ready to empower you. Ready to bless you. Ready to forgive you. Ready to help you. Ready to favor you. That little statement means all of those things. It's God saying, here I am. I'm here. I'm ready. Let's do this thing. Here I am. Well, last little verse. I told you that uh, when I started studying Isaiah 58, the passage you're going to be studying this week, I hit the rewind button and went back to 55 and it says, come. I just got captured by this word. Um, and then I couldn't stop studying at 58 and so 59, 60, 61 and, and 62. And I love this prophetic message right at the end of chapter 62 and where we're gonna end uh, in a moment. It says, and they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called. I just feel like there ought to be a drum roll right now. <laughs> like, and you shall be called. Well, what am I gonna be called? Like, what's my name? What is God gonna call me? You guys, this is awesome. Again, if we could just get this in here. And you shall be called, sought out. Seek me daily. But this is about a God who seeks us. Let me close with a little story. It actually happened this weekend. Pretty traumatic. For his birthday, we got Josiah a hamster. And he called him Sly. Coincidentally, his other birthday gift was Sly 4 for PS3. And so, uh, you know, Sly, we've had him for you know, about, about a week or two. And uh, it takes a while to kind of, you know, humanize the hamster, get him used to being held and all of that good stuff. And so, um, but finally, Josiah is just like, I mean, it's kind of Sly is his. And it's, you know, um, special little pet. And, uh, and so last night, you know, Laura and I went out on a date and, and went to see Argo. Um, and then when we got home, the boys were asleep. And, and, uh, and so when we got up this morning, I, I went in um, to study a little bit in the office and I got a text message from Laura that said Sly was not in his cage. <laughs> that the cage had not been completely secured the night before. We have a dog. <laughs> and so the plot thickens. <laughs> We're, I, like I'm thinking like, oh, this could be really, really bad. 
Like, can you even keep a pet that possibly ate another pet? (laughs) I don't even know. Like, are there rules about in pet world about this? Like, I don't know, but, you know, hi, Mickey and Sly. You know, I don't know. It was like, I'm getting carried away. Um, And so they started searching everywhere. And Josiah just had a hunch that uh, maybe he was under Parker's bed. And so he flashed um, his flash night and he's looking and uh, Sly has this ugly little white, he's a black um, hamster, but has this ugly little white tail. Um, and so I think it caught the light and, uh, and man, he, that little hamster threw a party under there uh, last night. Um, I won't describe it. But <laughs> tears were t- turned into rejoicing as Josiah found Sly after seeking for him. It was an awesome moment. Now, my little observation here is this hamster. I don't even know how much he cost at PetSmart. Laura picked him up, not much. Um, But you tell me, do you think that when Josiah was aware that Sly was lost, do you think then he just kind of went back to normal and just kind of kept doing what he was doing? There was no way. 100% of his focus was now on searching for this hamster. And I know this is like a homey little illustration and a message. But I was just so struck by the strength of urgency in Josiah to find Sly. And I'm thinking to myself, man, my little guy has more more urgency for his hamster than I have for God. Like, dagger. Oh, no. I think this is a season we need to press in. We need to beat a path to seek after. Here I am. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and ask that you would help us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to hear your voice and to respond to it. Lord, right now, for those who hear you calling to them, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh God, I pray that every person within earshot would respond to that invitation from the Lord Jesus. In fact, if you're here this weekend at all of our locations, um, I'm not gonna ask you to like come forward or raise a hand or do anything, but just right, right where you're at, I think this is your moment and you would like to respond to this invitation, I I think it's as simple as saying to the Lord Jesus, here I am, here I am. It's us offering ourselves to the Lord. If you would have the courage in your heart just to say those words, maybe for the first time, here I am, here I am, amen. Amen.